Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing the first Avengers movie, the fanfic With Fire in Their Eyes by Asuka Carreru, and the fanfic Polaris by Satisma. And welcome to episode 43, Two Great Tastes That Taste Great Together. I'm Alex, and I am Cherry Vanilla. I'm Freya, and I am Lemon and Garlic. I'm Macy, and I'm Pineapple Coconut. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about fusions, whatever those <laughs> are. Uh, how are they different from crossovers? Uh, have we seen these used in professional fiction at all? We will answer all of your questions, dear listeners. But first, what are we reading, fellow serpents? My reading stint has actually slowed down at last because I am attempting to get to a certain point in the outline of my current draft before mm. I leave for Worldcon. So I've been doing a lot of mm -hmm. crying and trying to write. Which we approve of. I mean, the writing, not the crying. <coughs> I'm sorry, please don't die. While my body falls apart around me, clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had a shoulder injury, I've had a neck injury, and now I have a cold. I'm just like... Darling listeners, pray for Freya. Miserably sipping tea over here. Uh, but I am actually... You know, you wording that... If you word it like that, that means that I have to leave your coughing in the episode yeah. instead of yeah. editing it out, out in post. Sure, whatever so, you like, like. Thank you for that. Pray for Freya, <laughs> darling listeners, because God knows she needs it. Uh, but I am paused at the moment midway through two books, which I do hope to finish again before I leave for Worldcon. I'm reading Milkman by Anna Burns, which was a Booker Prize winner, I think, last year. And it's literary fiction about Northern Ireland at the time of the Troubles. It's good. I can certainly tell that what appeals to people about it, but it's been a while since I've had to make my brain fit into the literary fiction mold and it's a little bit slow going at the moment partly because i then had to go and google northern Ireland troubles and read the entire wikipedia page in order to understand lots mm. of the context because the way it's written doesn't give a lot of specific context it's all very referential there are no proper nouns there's no reference to any actual real place or even people's names what but, but yeah so it depends a lot on you knowing the context in order to understand how it's being clever Anyway, mm. it's a good book. I'll see how I go with it. Uh, and the other book I'm reading is Valentine by Jodie McAllister, who is an Australian writer. This is the first in a YA sort of contemporary fantasy series. And I don't read a lot of YA, but it turns out I can stomach it a lot better when it is extremely Australian, <laughs> which this one is. It's about a small Australian town and a set of teenagers who are all born on Valentine's Day. And strange and creepy magical things start happening to them. And that's about as far as I've got in the book, but I'm enjoying it a lot. Strange and Creepy is exactly my jam. Um, mm, yeah, I think I was reading it and I was like, oh, okay, this is this is the kind of book that I might recommend to Macy because it's got quite <laughs> a bit of creepy along with very teenage teenagers in it. Oh my gosh. Bless their hearts. <laughs> they don't know better. Uh, whereas this past two weeks, I have not really done all that much reading because I meant to be hip deep in edits and instead of doing that, I accidentally something else, which we will talk about in a moment. Um, but what I am halfway through is the novella, This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El-Matar and Max Gladstone. And it is delightful and extremely gay and full of plant bullshit, like weird fucky plant bullshit. And I feel like those last two points were not emphasized enough in the marketing. <laughs> but I mean, that's fair I mean, because you just say Amal and Max wrote a book together and everyone is sold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they didn't really need really. a boost. Um, and as well as reading that, I have been reading a bunch of nonfiction about boats and ships and then complaining about Archimedes building cruise ships for the ancient Greeks on Twitter, because that was a thing. Um, oh, did you know the Archimedes cool. screw was for like um, draining bilge from a massive like 200 stateroom noble cruise ship? Oh, wow. <laughs> Archimedes I mean, in the super I, yacht. I love it. <laughs> I knew that it was for draining 
bilges, but I didn't know it was for boats that big. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's like massive cruise ship. And then they were like, this is stupid because there are literally no harbors we can get into and quietly abandon <laughs> the ship. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, I love Archimedes. He doesn't deserve it. And as well as that, watching lots of Black Sails and Westworld. Yeah, you're on your boat bullshit I'm recently. I'm on my you? boat bullshit. I like boats. We're gonna. I, I like boats too. Darling listeners, hopefully two episodes from now will not be our last episode because in between one episode after this one and the one after that, your serpents are going to go to the north end of Ireland and go canoeing, maybe. Well, possibly Kaya, the kayaking. other two the other yeah. two serpents <laughs> are going to go messing about in boats, as yes. you know, Graham would have it. I may be sitting yep. on the shore watching the boating happening because I'm not really a boat person. It's fine. We'll probably not die. You can find people to replace us easily. Yeah, it'll Freya. just be Freya easily. and like M and an American. Yes, I was going to say I need to put an ad out <laughs> saying specific accents needed. I'm pretty sure I can grab M and she'll she'll do it. She'll be the Brit. Yeah. Need vaguely queer femme redhead fantasy author of these specific accents will <laughs> willing to accept dies. Jen. There we yes, go. Jen Perfect. is your, your red-headed American. Excellent. So if you two do get killed in a remote <laughs> North North Island murder mystery, it'll be fine. It'll be, it'll fine. be fine. I've got your replacements all lined up. Anyway, well, Alex, what have you Excellent. been reading? So I've been reading uh, a surprising number of things, considering that I have been um, like sweeping and hacking my way through the rewrite of, of my book. I am so close to finishing that. I am like... I'm going to finish it either tonight or tomorrow, and I'm really, really excited. Uh, right now, I am listening to Game of Kings, the first book of the Lyman Chronicles, uh, because I am trying to finish sewing my outfit for the Hugo Awards, and that means audiobooks. Uh, I have also been watching a new Chinese drama that I have discovered called Oh My yes. General, and I got Macy into it. It's wonderful. I'm like 20 uh, episodes in. I forgot to mention that. It just oh, man. Wow. You, like, really outstripped me. Do you want to explain what Oh My General is about? I don't think about? one can explain what Oh My General is about. <laughs> so it's about this badass female general who gets given an arranged marriage by the emperor and his mother. And she's supposed to marry this, like, like, she's a badass. She's, like, this badass, punchy, bisexual. Beheading people a lot. Beheading people a lot, being deeply bisexual. Mm. Um kicking ass, taking names. And so she gets an arranged marriage to this beautiful, delicate nobleman. And they are disasters together and they he like hates her and and has three concubines who are absolutely wildly in love with his new wife. It's a great show. You should watch it. Not a great it plays show. with gender every which way. It's incredible. It's better than Guardian by a significant amount, but it's still by not a really a good good show. It's not a good show. No, it's a trash show. But but it's a delicious trash show, and you should watch yes. it. Um, I'm, of course, still on my Good Omens bullshit, so here are your Good Omens fic wrecks of the week, because the bullshit is never ending. <clears throat> First of all, We Could Turn the World to Goad by Nikki R.A. Second, You Soft and Only by The Hoyden, a.k.a. The Most Aching and Romantic Thing I Have Ever Read. <laughs> Holy shit, this fic. Uh, In His Own Image by Tizy which is a fic about Warlock and Nanny Ashtoreth, and it is literally perfect. And finally, Ask and Ye Shall Receive by a certain fic author pseudonamed Ariosti, mm. who is me. <laughs> yes, that's true. I wrote a fic these past two weeks. We are very proud. It has proud. a 31% kudos to hits ratio on Archive of Our Own. How about that? Uh, um, do we have any news? Macy apparently accidentally a thing, according to the dot points. Uh, yeah, so this episode goes up on the 11th of September? Yep. Yes. So, darling listeners, keep your eyes open in, like, several weeks from now in October, because, yeah, I have a project that's coming to a funding platform near you, and that's all I'm going to say right now. Ooh, mysterious. I am very excited for this mysterious project for reasons that will become apparent. Ooh, mystery. Ooh. Yes, yes. So that is one opportunity to give us your money, dear listeners. 
Uh, the other opportunity to give us your money is that yesterday, A Choir of Lies came Ooh. out. Uh, this is the sequel to A Conspiracy of Truths. It is a fantasy novel about the power of stories uh, and recovering from trauma and fantasy tulip mania. And it's a really good book and I'm proud of it. Please go buy it. It's about a soft boy it, falling in love. It's about a soft yes. boy angsting a lot and being yeah. beaten up, but like getting over it. Yeah, and, yeah, like, and like, therapy. like using using stories as a way to process grief and trauma. Yeah. And it has been vastly improved since <laughs> the first draft that Macy and Freya read. Insert and climax scene here. Yeah, insert playback scene here. But also, like, I dedicated this book to Macy and Freya. I'm going to fight you. I will find you. This book is dedicated to Macy and to Freya. I will find the audio track for this episode and I will cut this piece out. There will just okay. be muffled screeching noises on the audio track, darling listeners, and that's why. <laughs> all right. Great. Well, now Great. that we have spent 10 minutes telling you what you should watch and how to give us all of your money... Let's All move on money. with an episode. Patreon. That's <laughs> another an way to give us your let's money. Patreon, yes. Okay. So let's start with a an existential question. Is a fusion different from a crossover? Yes. Explain. Yes. And here's why. I see on the dot points that Macy has a definition and I'm not going to read it. I'm very carefully not looking at it because I want to explain mine first. Uh, so the difference that I see between a fusion and a crossover is that a crossover uses existing characters from both canons whereas a fusion uses the characters from one canon and either a setting or a conceit of some sort from another one uh so for example a fic about the characters from captive prince talking to the characters from i don't know person of interest i just picked like two of our favorite things um which is a crossover versus one of the fix that we're talking about today, which is Uran Ice, but with Kaiju and Jaegers. So I slightly disagree with that. Um, to me, a crossover requires two things. Um, a crossover needs to have characters from both, and those characters have to exist in their own original contexts, with like some slight fudging to let them both exist mm. in the same universe. So, 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 what if yeah. it was something? So, what if it was the captive prince characters and the person of interest characters, both of both of them combined in a coffee shop AU. That would be a fusion to me, but not a very like useful one. Whereas a fic in which the person of interest characters were figure skaters interacting with the Yuri on Ice characters is a fusion. Mm. Because they're- Sorry, I just had to like give my brain a moment to like parse that. <laughs> Because <laughs> if, if you are in one of their settings or the other of their settings, then it's a fusion. If you, like, picked a setting. I think I more agree with Alex's, but it's not necessarily saying that this is correct, this is incorrect. It's just how I arrange them in my brain. So for me, if it is, mm. if there are characters from both, then it is a crossover. It'll just be a crossover set in one world or the other. So to me, yes, a fusion is one that's one world that has been meshed with elements of another, but not the characters of it. Though obviously I think you could have some grey areas, like if you had a Harry Potter fusion and obviously you wanted to keep some of the teachers at Hogwarts, for example, but all of the other mm -hmm. characters, all of the students at the school were the ones you had yoinked from the other canon. I think that would still count in my head as a fusion rather than a crossover. So darling yeah. listeners, shit's complicated, yo. Let's have a taxonomy. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so I have a little taxonomy, um, and this is, as all taxonomies, somewhat blurry, right? There's no hard and fast rule as to which side this falls on. And you two may also have different types of fusions. But the two mm -hmm. types of fusions that I see the most are fusions that are done for a setting reason. Like, I want to put my favorite characters into the Hunger Games, um, or I want to put uh, person of interest characters on the Enterprise, um, and I want to have them like in that setting, like when you remake Romeo and Juliet to be about warring gangs in LA, right? Yep. That movie is so fucking good. Right? And it's a fusion. Yeah. Yes. Totally a fusion. Oh, Whereas very, very brief uh, West Side Story tangent. <laughs> continuum this year uh kate elliott was one of the guests of honor and she gave a talk on 
setting up audience expectations and how to open a story using the first two minutes of West Side Story as her text. It was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my life. Continue. All right. Well, now that we've decontextualized that second half of the taxonomy. Um... <laughs> you can cut that if you like. I just had to tell someone that it had happened. It, was nice. it, it, it sounds delightful. But the first half of the taxonomy was fusions that are about putting your characters into a setting that you want to play with. Okay. The second type is about more about using a mechanic or a world building aspect like demons but in the kind of original context of the first fandom where the characters are from so like polaris is very clearly a harry potter fic set in hogwarts but they have demons yes Mm -hmm. um and so that's where you just kind of really want the magic or the particular technology or i would argue that like soul bonds are almost a type of this or like there's certain forms of uh, science fiction-y, superhero-y magic that yeah. pulling those in makes it like this. And the, um, do, I can't remember, I think we did, we did, we tent-polled one of Dira Sudis's The Generation Killed Wolf Brother fic. Yeah. That, mm, that would be mm-hmm. a, a fusion which is to do with a mechanic. Oh yeah, great example. That is a great example. All right. Well, let's move on. So I will talk about the first temple, which was a fanfic that sprang to mind immediately when we decided to do <laughs> this particular episode. This is a fic called Polaris by Satisma. It is, as Macy has pointed out, a Harry Potter fic with a His Dark Materials fusion. And the central, not necessarily pairing, but the central relationship is Harry Draco Pansy which is not something I had read a lot of, but I am completely and utterly sold on it because it is Slytherins all the way down and this fic, yes. this fic does it so well. So this is an epilogue, what epilogue, post-canon story about all three of them being professors at Hogwarts, which is a conceit that I really like in post-canon fics. Mm-hmm. And it's about magical houses and it's about negotiating relationships and it's about interesting magical world building but mostly it's about talking about sex. Yep. I wonder why yep. I like it so much. <laughs> this fic was this fic was so so fascinating to me because I read the first like two thirds of the first chapter and like I was so deeply involved in the plot and like there's this really really creepy scene and I was getting like literal chills yes. going up and down my spine and I was reading it like two in the morning I was like it was a bad idea to read this at two, <laughs> in, two in the morning this is amazingly it's a terrifying story. like a, a incredible horror story and I don't even like horror that often but this was like the perfect level of creepy sort of like some how some food is like the perfect level of spice uh, and then immediately after this creepy scene, like, all of the plot is ground to a screeching halt. And, like, this is one of the things that I love so much about fanfic, because you could never get away with this in professional fiction, right? Professional fiction would never let you get away with bringing the plot to a screeching halt so that the characters could have tens of thousands of words to talk about their feelings and do healthy communication and, like, negotiate polyamory and talk about their sex lives. And I just love that so much because it's so valid. (laughs) Well, so what did you think of all of the the fucky plant bullshit in this one, Macy? Because Satisma is a biologist. Yes, and I think I really you can kind of, a lot of you can tell that she knows a lot about ecology and ecosystems yes. and how that might work once you bring magic into it. I loved all the world building about the magical yes. creatures and the magical greenhouses and how they all fit together. And I could have read three hundred thousand words of just the the three of them geeking out about their greenhouses and their magical creature enclosures. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think for me, one thing that I wanted to talk about with this fic and with it being a fusion with his dark materials Mm. in particular is I think that there are a lot of examples of fusions that people do just because they seem kind of fun and kind of cool. I think that this one is doing something very deliberate, which is bringing demons into the mix forces vulnerability on characters Mm -hmm. who really don't want to be vulnerable. Yes, yes, yes. Please tell us so much more about that. So there's a lot of His Dark Materials crossovers, right? Um, One of my favourite ever that I'll talk about in more detail later. Uh, Alex highlighted in our doc as being one that we tent-pulled before. Um, But 
the thing that a demon does, and for those of you who haven't read his dark materials, a demon is an animal companion that can talk that is basically an extension of your soul. And they frequently let slip things that you would maybe rather they didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and so Harry and Draco and Pansy are all struggling with intimacy in this fic in various different ways. And having the demons there gets them out of their heads. It's a forcing function. And I think it's hugely effective. And this fic, if you took the plot of this fic and wrote like a synopsis of what happens in it, there's no reason that the stuff that happens in it couldn't happen without demons. But if you start looking at how the fic works and what it's actually doing between the characters, the demons are intrinsic and like completely necessary. And I think that for the best fusions, both parts that you're fusing have to be necessary and have to be kind of at the core of the, of the piece of fiction. Yeah, and I think there are a lot of even almost throwaway lines in this fic that show why these two particular worlds can be fit together in interesting ways, which is what I look for in fusions. I look for if you're going to combine two things, what is it that you can use one of them to explain or elaborate about the other? Right. So my favorite quote from this fic, I'm going to read it out and I'll tell you why it's great. Yes, Draco said. You value the same qualities. You're loyal. You're kind to the people you care about. You aren't ashamed of being ambitious and wanting power. But you're not going to go all insane and start shoving bits of Thaxia into boxes and things and having a fake snake demon. And this is just something he throws into the conversation when he's trying to tell Harry that Harry is not like Voldemort. But it's uh, talking about Slytherin-ness, essentially. But I love the second half of that is just saying... Here's how what Voldemort did works in a world with right. demons. Because shoving bits of Thaxia, so Thaxia is Harry's demon, it says creating a, a Horcrux is essentially dismantling your demon because yep. demons are souls. And so in order to create a Horcrux, you have to actually take apart a semi-sentient part of yourself, shove it into boxes, and then this idea of a fake snake demon Oh, and thinking of, oh, what's the snake called? Nagini. Nagini. So this idea that what Voldemort did was destroy his true demon, split it up, hide the essence of it in objects, and then use Nagini to convince people that that was his actual demon to hide what he'd done. Mm. And there's so much interesting world building in that, and it's just a throwaway line. Yep. And that's what I love about this fic. Yeah. So in the interests of time, shall we continue? Yes, sure. yes. Macy, yes. Ha, you get the... I'm a little bit jealous <laughs> that you get to talk about this tentpole because it was so exquisite, but you did call dibs on I it did. before I could, so <laughs> take it's it away. also perfectly formed and only 8,000 words long, so it's, what, like 15 minutes to read it? Sure. Pause for everyone to just recalibrate their brains to Macy's standards. It's a half hour. Come on, at most it's a half hour. It's true. I read it quite fast. It's lovely. It's uh, yeah, it was, it was quick. And uh, this is called With Fire in Their Eyes by As Asuka Kareru. And this author also has a whole bunch of really cool fiction and original fiction on AO3. I've liked them for a really long time. Um, I didn't even notice this was them, though, until I read it in the doc just now. So well done, observ <laughs> observation skills, Macy. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. So this fic is a fic in which the events of Pacific Rim, which is kind of a kaiju Armageddon movie, uh, occur to the Yuri on Ice canon. So we open with Yuri getting news that San Francisco has been smushed by a giant monster and thinking that it's fake, and to Victor competing, having a kaiju crash in through the roof and nearly kill him on the ice and actually killing uh, his mentor. And this is so well written, it mm. really hurts. Like It really hurts. Oh yeah, it's brutal. Victor it's fucking brutal. saying, you know, he, in the fallen, like the collapsed building which collapsed on top of them, he finds Yakov's hand and holds it and realizes later that it probably only stayed warm so long because he was holding it. Yeah. yeah god every word of this like just you can feel gosh. and unlike a lot of 
the Pacific Rim fusions that you read, this one actually starts at the start of the whole kaiju disaster. Mm-hmm. A lot of them skip ahead to, yes, well, we've formed the battle domes and we've got our giant robots and we're in the middle of a battle because that's the part that we're interested in, that the part about right. the drift. But this, I think, very cleverly made that decision to start things early because Yuri on Ice is a canon about people who are fundamentally broken at the beginning. And this says, here's the way in which mm-hmm. they and the world were fundamentally broken. And I think that it's very important um, because it's about the effect on the world, whereas a lot of Pacific Rim fics are kind of, uh, this is not a bad thing, but are kind of shallow in that they're using the trope of drift compatible as an alternate soulmate thing. Mm. Yeah. And they're using the let's pair up and punch things is the main drift of it. And they kind of set aside the tragedy of the kaiju, which in fairness, the movie Pacific Rim doesn't really go all that hard. Except for yeah. building stupid walls in the wrong place in Sydney <laughs> Harbour, which I'm never going to stop being very annoyed about. <laughs> No, but I think that Yuri on Ice is a perfect canon to do this with because it is so much about um, emotion and internal kind of stuff that's going on. And like you, you mentioned that it's about people who are broken, but it's also about like learning who you are as well as who the other person is and sort of growing together. I think that means that the drift compatibility thing is even more poignant metaphor in this situation because it's not just a shorthand for like oh they're soulmates but it's also a shorthand for like oh this is the relationship that they had to build over the course of the the canon Mm -hmm. right even then it starts with victor recognizing something in yuri that he thinks has Mm -hmm. potential which is him seeing Yuri skate his own routine, which is what happens in the Yuri on Ice canon. But here it just has this beautiful second meaning where Victor says, okay, this person is skating my routines better than me or is skating like I would have ended up skating. Because Victor gave up skating in this canon after he was traumatized. Yes. And he's basically just become someone who goes around essentially fundraising, it seems like. Yeah, being a celebrity. Yeah, being a celebrity. And then he sees this person skating with the joy and the style that he used to have and thinks, this is the person that I could be drift compatible with. And it's to do with performance and embodying someone else's lost passion, which is lovely. But it's also about people who have kind of lost the ability to think that they can win against this thing that's happening to their world kind of seeing in each other and like together regaining that ability and that belief oh yeah if you're gonna externalize the metaphor of anxiety a kaiju is a pretty damn (laughs) solid way of doing it solid (laughs) yes yes yes. which is (laughs) yes um and that's what i quite liked about this fic that it was an unusual choice to pair with pacific rim because it's a quiet internal canon and some of the other ones that we looked at when we were choosing a, a pacific rim fusion for this of the more traditionally punchy mm. cannons where you just say, okay, well, here's some people from a slightly action-y cannon. Let's just give them some robots and a soul bond. Whereas this is exactly as you've said, much more internal. Did you want to talk a little about yeah. the Kingsman one that you read? Um, I don't think so. I think it's worth like going into depth in it. We did. Yeah. I read, we read a Kingsman one and we're thinking about using that as a tent pole, but I liked the contrast yes. better in this one, the contrast of, quiet, anxious celebrity figure skaters in kaiju rather than, oh, some people who already shoot things and punch things for a living Mm -hmm. in a kaiju. I think I agree. I think those are the ones that really stick in my head as fusions are the ones that take a real contrast. Yeah, like this is so much not two cannons that you would ever expect to work together. And yet when they do, like watching this fic author fit them together so beautifully, it's just like... So deeply poetic and such an amazing uh, example of of the form. So, I was it Macy who suggested this fic? No, or? we went so dar- darling listeners. There's this thing that I do sometimes that I'm pretty sure you two probably do also, where I go spelunking for fix in Ao3 because I just need to read something, and you just you're like, okay, well, I feel like a crossover with Pacific Rim. So you put in Pacific Rim and you put in crossover and you put in like 
sought by kudos. I know you mm-hmm. do this with good omens, Alex. And so we yes. kind of did this because we knew that Pacific Rim... I do this Rim... with all fandoms. Well, yes. right. <laughs> but like we knew Pacific Rim crossovers and fusions were something we were really interested about. And I knew that there were some amazing ones. So we kind of went rummaging. I uh, see. I don't do fix plunking because I am a picky bitch and I just wait for people <laughs> to throw wrecks at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. You can dig through my bookmarks if you ever need to, to go looking for or stuff. Or I just sit you. there with my fist clenched trying to psychically convince Astolette to move into a fandom that I want her to move into. <laughs> Those are my two extremes. But I I agree. I think that that some of the nice thing about this was that surprise that there are two good flavors that you would not have put together. Like the first time you try strawberry and balsamic ice cream and you think, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. And then you're obsessed with it for a month. Yep. 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 So our third and final tentpole, dear listeners, (laughs) you may have heard of this one. It's uh, it's a little bit obscure. It's a little bit of an Uh, indie like cult hit, I feel. Yeah. Not really that much backing behind it. Not that much of a budget. No, kind of a hipster thing. It's really impressive how well they've done. Yeah, exactly. So this is Marvel's The Avengers. (laughs) Um, uh, The first Avengers film. Uh, Technically, by my taxonomy, it is a crossover. I think by Macy's taxonomy as well. Kind of. I think that it's weird because they all always existed in the same universe. And I could argue that it's kind of a fusion between an Iron Man and a Thor movie more than anything mm. else because it's kind of a Thor plot in an Iron Man setting. Yes. With some yeah. cameos yeah. from random other crossover characters. Yep. Some of whom never got their fucking movie. Did they, Marvel? Did they? Apparently they're going to, though. Yeah, but now but that they've just you... sucked all the fucking joy out of what we enjoyed yeah. of, about these characters. Yeah. Was there joy in it? Was there? Was there? Listen, well, there I had a hell of is- a lot of joy about Black Widow and Hawkeye after this particular movie. I wrote some fic. I had some feelings. And <laughs> all of those <laughs> feelings fair. have now been ground into uncaring, ambivalent dust by the rest of the Marvel yeah. Cinematic Universe. So I do feel there was a <laughs> yeah. lost opportunity there. But So the Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of weird and cool and like i think that the impetus behind it could have if like the movie some of the movies had been better um could have done even better than it has and it has done extremely well like one of the reasons why it is such a huge benefit to do this kind of thing in professional fiction or in mainstream media um is because people want to see their favorite characters they will this is why people come to read fan fiction right is because people want more of these characters they will keep coming back to see them they will be delighted and overjoyed when there's an unexpected cameo but i think that one of the things that kind of pissed me off about this movie one of the things was just um they had this crossover opportunity to have these interactions and other than like the sparks we get between Cap and Iron Man, most of them just punch each other a bunch. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, this is Superman versus Batman. This is who would punch the other puncher punchier. And I don't have enough, like, manliness in me to find that interesting. (laughs) No, of course. I mean, like, what do you expect from Joss Whedon? Yeah. You know? But also, it means (laughs) that you can't, if you have that many characters in one story, you can't develop any particular through line of relationship properly yes. and i think the way the reason that i came away for it thinking wow i'm really into this hawkeye black widow is because they mm. set up an existing relationship dropped in a few hints of really interesting backstory and then the actors had mm-hmm. amazing chemistry at portraying these people right. who were very close who had a lot of history um and actually you know surprisingly the most effective emotional thread was that of the black widow having to deal with the fact that her best friend had been brainwashed and she was having to right. to fight him. And you went into that movie not really knowing or caring anything about Black Widow and Hawkeye as they had been set up in that cinematic universe, but they were used to really good effect. But they, they could have done even more yes. if they'd had time and space to spread out, but they couldn't right. spread out because, you know, two meters away too was something characters. happening with the Hulk and two meters in the other direction yep. was Iron Man, you know, having a tantrum. So, yeah... And, like, they keep piling more and more yep. characters into these fucking movies. Like, I don't know how many characters there were in Endgame. Like, dozens? And so how there's no opportunity to do any, like, deep character work 
on any of them. And that's really what people are looking for. Like, does anyone care about Ant-Man? No. No one cares about Ant-Man. No. <laughs> I will say, not everyone is looking for deep character work. Um, but you didn't even get, like, interesting um, MacGuffins, you know? Mm. Um, some of the, like, Guardians of the Galaxy had at least vaguely interesting MacGuffin. Um, Thor Ragnarok had an, a vaguely compelling plot of, like, here's what you have to get away from and then defeat. This one is mm -hmm. just, Loki has an army and war because war. And everyone kept saying the word war a lot. And I'm like, this is not a war? Yeah. Why? What? I'm just, hmm. I kept comparing it unfavorably to Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> which I think is much better at being a superhero show. Because you don't put five superheroes against an army. What are you doing? This is just dull. What? Yeah, yeah. and I... They can't... I, sorry, go on. I, say, I, I feeling... <laughs> I really... And I think you're right in, the, in... It suffers a little from being a sort of an Iron Man story colliding with a Thor story because they take Loki, who I genuinely find very interesting and cool as a villain mm -hmm. and as a character, and I love him in all of the Thor movies, and made him an Iron Man villain. And it didn't yeah, yeah. work in that sense. And the problem the problem with Iron Man villains and Iron Man narratives in general, uh, and this was something I didn't notice the first time I watched this film, and now knowing a little bit more about how Hollywood works, um, Iron Man is all about American military imperialism. Always. Yep. And every time you see a tank in a movie, that's because the American army has let them use the tank and has script doctored their script to make sure that the American military is shown in a flattering light and that I'm just absolutely furious. Yeah, they honestly. gave him they gave him the army of an Iron Man villain and then they turned him into a Captain America villain as well by making him Ooh no, let's draw some very, very clear parallels with the Nazis. Because let's that's just what, go to Germany for let's one Let's go scene to Germany and have a man stand up and talk about what happened last time someone tried to put people down. And so they're giving him the philosophy of a Captain America villain. And it, you're trying to make him be the individual, you know, foil antagonist to four or five different people. And that's why you can't do it. Because a good villain yeah. is the direct foil to the one protagonist that they are the villain for. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you have one person being the direct foil slash mirror slash antagonist to everyone by giving him all these scenes one-on-one -on -one and the one with Black Widow, everything falls apart. And that's why his characterization in this movie is for shit. And that is the end of my essay. Thank you. <laughs> Darling listeners, your serpents have feelings. <laughs> I have so, so many Loki feelings. feelings. Is this the first time that we have actually like sort of torn apart a tentpole and like openly criticized it i think I, so. I am very happy doing this to whedon because honestly next time we tentpole I mean, yes. something we can tentpole firefly so i can do it again because i'll yeah. do it again i feel like tearing apart <laughs> avengers is not so much punching up as punching towards the clouds like we can't <laughs> hurt <laughs> <Yeah>. this universe <laughs> like we're not having so much no. <laughs> money it's <sighs> fine and but there is like so much opportunity for like really solid criticism and I think that your points are incredibly valid and insightful. Well done. Thank you. But to pull it back to the topics of fusions, basically you can't just throw things into a blender and hit blend. And I think that's what the Avengers shows us is you want to be thoughtful mm -hmm. about what you're combining. You can't take everything from every ingredient. You can't take every ingredient from your cupboard. Like, if you're putting two things together, you pick little bits out of it. Like, the, the Polaris did not include the subtle knife or the alethiometer of his dark materials. They almost never do. You pick the elements that you need to do the thing you're doing. They are tools. Um, yep. the, the one that was set in um, Kaiju Land didn't have the Shatter Dome. At least not the same one. You right. know? Be selective. Yep. Be selective, be thoughtful, and be purposeful. But let's bring us on to the next question, which is, what are fusions trying to achieve? So I think that fusions are trying to... It's like putting two cannons under the microscope at each other, like pointing two microscopes at each other, basically, right? <laughs> to, like, learn more about each cannon by what we know from 
the other one. Mm. So, for example, going back to the Yuri on Ice one, because that was, again, such an exquisite, amazing example of the form, like, by having the kaiju there, we get more insight onto the Yuri on Ice cannon. Mm. And by having the Yuri on Ice cannon there, we get that beautiful, deep emotionality into how the world reacts right. to to the kaiju and like the trauma that they're going through so they, they enhance each, each other. other they are yeah. they illuminate each other they are more than the sum of their mm. parts right and i think i may see in terms of the hunger games fusions which i think is ones that you were talking about i can see mm. the appeal of them in that like many au situations it's about taking a set of characters that you really like and putting them into an extreme yes, and seeing exactly what do they that. do Exactly that. And with Hunger Games uh, particularly, it's all about really pushing them to their absolute limits. And the thing is that your reader will already buy that because they understand what the Hunger Games is. It's a lot easier to get that cost without losing people uh, when you're using a premise that someone else has already bought into. Yeah, and it's like what we talked about with our personality taxonomies episode, when you're doing something like sorting a character into a Hogwarts house or assigning them an animal Mm -hmm. as their demon, your audience in a fanfic sense will already have their own opinions that they're bringing. They will be in conversation with what you're showing them and being like, hmm, do I agree with this? Am I prepared to be convinced? Mm -hmm. What would I have thought that this person's demon is? It's almost like they are a fusion is a metaphor for canon. It's a different perspective. It's turning the book upside down and looking at it that way around. Um, yeah. It's like how we use, like how I always end up world building my magic as a metaphor for the theme of the society I'm, I'm working with. Um, mm. Here you're using the, the, the demons as a kind of metaphor for the, the magical vulnerability or whatever. But mm. like, it's, it's a way of changing your perspective. Yes, or the kaiju as your anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think whatever who was it that said uh, the uh, the power of cameos when we were talking about why yeah. we like these that things. Yeah, it's it is a way of just having fun and eliciting a fun yes. response from the audience of they're like, oh, that's that person that I love. And you see this with crossovers and fusions in the comic book world, and that's why I think a lot of the comics have and and the MCU and a lot of the comic book TV shows have these crossovers because people are going, always mm-hmm. want to watch these fun characters that I love popping up in other contexts. Yes. And, you know. It's competence porn, kind of. Yeah, kind of. But it's also just that, oh, yeah, it's this person that I love. Like I'm thinking about the Discworld books, which are technically mm-hmm. all the same universe, mm-hmm. but you have characters that belong to particular pockets of it showing up. Like when Sam Vimes shows up in uh, Monstrous Regiment. Monstrous Regiment. <laughs> you don't expect it because so you're not in a City Watch headspace. But you're like, oh, right. it's this person that I really love. And I was thinking, I was trying to think of any non-comics that do canonical in-universe crossovers slash fusions, and I came up with Disney princesses. Oh? Because the idea of all the Disney princesses sort of meeting up and talking and communicating and being pals is something that has never really been in-universe canonical. Amy Medicine's um, Pocket Princesses webcomic. Uh, is quite popular for a reason. And then I think the first time it became Mm. a proper sort of in-universe crossover was in, what am I thinking of, Frozen, where they show um, Mm. Flynn and Rapunzel going into the coronation, even though it's like a really, really small Easter egg thing. And then in the second Wreck-It Ralph movie, they actually show all the princesses hanging out together in a very, very fanfic-y, audience-pleasing kind of way. But I also have a small theory about a useful mapping of fusions in fandom onto a thing that we see a lot in professional fiction, which is those titles that you always describe as X meets Y. Comp titles, as they are known in the industry. (laughs) Kind of, but I'm not really talking about like the way that all of us will scrabble for comp titles for all of our works this is more like a twitter pitch well no what i'm trying to to say is a little bit different um what i'm trying to talk about are not every book is like this you can pick up comp titles for any book Mm -hmm. right but um there are some books that are very clearly two things combined like rivers solomon's an unkindness of ghosts is a generation ship and also 
and antebellum South slavery narrative, which are super different things, but kind of get smushed together and are super fascinating when that's happened. And to me, that's a fusion. It's like two different genres that were never mm. combined, suddenly, whoop, on top of each other. And I have a note here about uh, Mary Robinette Kowal's Glamorous History series, which is a Jane Austen book, but with magic. Would you call that a fusion as well? Not necessarily, just because magic is very generic, but like the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, mm. maybe? But it's okay. also just like... It doesn't matter, yeah. you know? There is no real hard and fast rule. No, I see what you mean, though, because, like, zombie fiction has kind of its own canon and its own internal yes. rules that you're kind of bringing in. It's about the tropes. Yeah. It's about narrative tropes. Something has to be well-defined enough to not only have, um, like, magic, but also, like, narrative tropes. And I think, for me, like, the more narrowly defined these are, the more you can smush them together and then subvert expectations, mm -hmm. because the reader has expectations. Right. Whereas magic, the reader doesn't really have expectations to the same degree. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, I think if you found it on AO3, it would be somebody doing Jane Austen, but retelling it with a particular magical system from a different book. Mm -hmm. right. That would be a fusion. Right. Um, Jane Austen goes to Hogwarts. I would read the shit out <laughs> the, of that. The Bennet, the Bennet sisters go to Hogwarts. Oh my I gosh. could see that. They're better. I bet you someone's written it. On I oh, I bet they have. Oh my gosh. Oh. I would read the shit out of that. Uh -huh. And I would actually read the shit out of like a multi Jane Austen. Yes. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> it's interesting. I'm thinking of, um, I think I mentioned this briefly as one of the books that I had read. One of Lucy Parker's um, London celebrities romance novels. It's the, um, oh, I can't remember which one it is, but it's the most recent one. But it's the text that takes place within the book is a Jane Austen crossover house murder mystery <laughs> reality TV show. Oh my gosh. That is many things. <laughs> That's many things. Yes, it is a great crossover. But I think this leads us into, like, there reaches a certain point where there is a parallel between, like, the concept of a fandom and the the like tropes and fanons mm. and ideas that people have around a particular fandom and a subgenre in genre fiction and like the tropes around zombie fiction mm -hmm. versus the tropes around Harry Potter fan fiction and you can kind of use them to do similar things to your readers expectations so like uh, is a yuri on ice japanese harry potter fusion really a fusion or is it just a magic boarding school au I think it would depend a lot on basically aesthetics and like which bits of the magic school that you're taking, whether you're structuring it deliberately on Hogwarts or whether you're doing something sort of Hogwarts inspired, but ultimately mm. different. Yeah, because mm -hmm. Harry Potter is such a seminal text now that yeah. anything hey. set in a magical boarding school. Yes. Did you notice my use of the word seminal? Yes, Thank we you. did. <laughs> Dick joke. Check. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything set in a boarding school with magic is going to get that reference right. no matter what, mm -hmm. even if it's different stylistically, if the world building is different, if the magical mechanics are different. I think that's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Like magic boarding school slash Harry Potter is now almost as big as zombies. Right. Uh, when it comes to being a, a cultural reference point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, so do we want to talk a little bit about some of our favorite canons to fuse things with. I always sure. like to talk about favorites. You do. You have so voice. many favorites. Yeah, these are a few of my favorite things. Tell us about some of your favorite crossover and, yes. and fusion things. So I really love Loveless fusions, which mm. are kind of hard to come by. I don't know if yeah. either of you have read Loveless. I watched Loveless back in like 2006. Mm -hmm. Is that the one with the cat boy in it? Yes, it is the one <laughs> it's with the, the cat boy. the one where you lose your virginity and you lose your cat ears and tail and everyone can yes, tell. Yes, that's the extent of my knowledge about Loveless. <laughs> oh, God. And as we were speaking of earlier, people pick and choose the pieces of a canon that they bring into a fusion and that's let's be honest, normally one of the ones they bring because fandom is horny. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But why wouldn't you? <laughs> that they, Yeah, why, why wouldn't you? Uh, but the piece specifically that I really love is that the whole magic system of Loveless is a paired magic system, right? 
you have yeah. to find it's kind of like the kaiju drift compatible thing except even more specific it's like soulmates and you can only do magic it's kind with of your like partner. catalyst macy just admit it it's kind of like catalyst <laughs> I really like magic that you can't do on your own because yeah. I feel like that's a far more interesting way to examine like society and connection between people. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that one. Um, and I also love Hunger Games and his dark materials. Mm -hmm. But I will be controversial and say I'm actually kind of bored of Harry Potter fusions. I don't find that most people do anything really interesting with them. They just have their yeah. characters have fun at boarding school. And I'm... Which is yeah, okay. valid. It's totally but, valid. I just, yeah, I'm, not for you. I won't read 300,000 words of it. And I will read 300,000 words of a lot of things. <laughs> no, I think a good Harry Potter yeah. fusion is short. Mm. Because basically, if all you want to do is say, here's the house, Hogwarts house that they would be in. Here's some interesting stuff that magic can say about the character dynamic. Mm -hmm. And then that's it. You're done. That's fair. Yep. Unless, you, unless you have come up with an interesting original plot to explore that through. That's then, yeah, you can... You can get away with making your point in quite a short space. Yep. Although having said that, there was some very good, ridiculously long Yu Yu Hakusho Harry Potter crossovers on FF.net that were quite good. But that was a okay. crossover, not a fusion. Yeah. Yeah. Freya, yeah. what are your favorites? I agree. I like a good His Dark Materials Yeet. fusion. I'm not as much into the Hunger Games as Macy, mostly because most dystopian things bore me to tears, yeah, honestly. same. Um, I just I like running around into... stabbing things, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I'm more into sort of like very tropey historical things that, again, <gasps> have a cultural reference point. So like a Regency AU yes. that has a very Georgette Heyer feel yes. to it, mm -hmm. or an Age of Sail fusion AU that has a very Patrick or orion feel to it so not necessarily a true fusion but borrowing from the greats mm. of people who have written in those historical genres um i do like a good star trek fusion and i think mm. there's a very long a white collar star trek fusion which i am trying to convince you guys to let me tentpole for another episode that we have been discussing oh, which is Pick a few sample good. chapters <laughs> um but yeah, I like the Star Trek universe as a place to put people because, mm. again, you can decide what you are going to do with them. What ideas are you going right. to use them to explore? Do you want to play with the thing about alien races? Do you want to play with the military structure? Mm. Do you want to mm. play with the whole, are they a science person or a command person? <laughs> sort them lot, into their Star Trek houses. <laughs> yeah. Star Trek houses with their colored shirts. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of scope to explore a lot of different ideas mm -hmm. with a Star Trek fusion. Nice. How about Alex? What are your yeah. favorite fusions? Well, I agree. Like, His Dark Materials, I think, is, like, the king of, of fusions. Just because mm. the having the daemons is such a beautiful and succinct way to talk about characters through that kind of visual metaphor. Right. Um, it doesn't get better than that. I used to be a huge fan of uh, Harry Potter crossovers and fusions and like i'm just not anymore i think that uh i agree with freya most of the time they don't do as much as they could um but honestly like i'm just a weak bitch for coffee shop au's and i would argue <laughs> that there are enough coffee shop au's that it's prevalent enough that every new coffee shop au is kind of a fusion with all of the other coffee shop au's that have come before here is a proposal because of the laws of coffee shops in this universe. Here is yes. a proposal. Do we feel like a coffee shop is really a soap opera? Probably. Not really. Okay, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, you're basically just writing your characters into a soap opera. Yeah. That happens to be set in a coffee shop. I mean, just like Shit's Creek happens to be set in a motel. Right. Same thing with like Fair enough. flower <laughs> shop AU or like... Like, I own one shop on one side of the street, and you oh own a God. different shop on the other That's side of the street. Queen. Okay. <laughs> well, one of, one of my good friends is right now, at the moment, writing a fusion, which is Pride and Prejudice set in a magical coffee shop. Amazing. I'm so excited for this book. It's going to be so good. Oh, oh it's original fiction. <laughs> like that's oh, just yeah, the cup no, titles. No, it's original fiction. Oh, like there are a lot of Pride and Prejudice retellings that are original fiction. <laughs> because it's out of copyright. Yes. I thought that you meant this was fanfic, and I was like, oh, I'd read that. Nope. Cool. 
Cool. No, this isn't the original. This, yeah. is, fact, this is the original fiction. Has this been sold? Is this something we can like name and sh- and and? No, no. I think she's literally like two chapters in. And oh, okay. I'm we so will, okay. So we can't for. talk we will about leave it. Her right, be. Cool. We will ask again in a year. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Excellent. When she has sold ah. it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. So, do you want to end by talking a bit about personal favorites? More oh, personal yes. favorites. Yes. 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 Sure. So, my favorite fusion of all time is he says he is an experimental theologian which is Uh, so good but it's so good uh, his dark materials fusion slash almost crossover with welcome to night vale and one of the reasons i love it so much is because it doesn't just pick up the demons it picks up the war with heaven yeah yes 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 and makes it weird and makes it weird and fucky because it's night vale yeah, and it's Night vale. I love it so much. There's like traveling between worlds and it just, it picks up so much of the rest of what made Pullman's world building cool that yeah. so many fusions just kind of ignore. Yeah, most mm. of the time they just take the demons. Um, right. But this took the demons and a bunch of other stuff. Yes. Um, really solid, amazing thing. We tent pulled that for episode two. Was it episode two? That was episode two. That was way I, back in I the day. I can never remember if we did actually temple it or if you guys just shouted no, about here's it a lot because I still haven't read it. Okay, How? here's the thing. I went back and I listened to the beginning of the episode just to be sure. And technically, okay, technically at the beginning of the episode, we said that today we're talking about sorting hat chats, I think, and demon au i think we kind of hadn't sorted out temples at that point <laughs> but yeah exactly exactly like it was episode two we had no like strategy at that point freya you are certainly not obliged to but i think you might enjoy i'm it sure i would it's, it's a very good on one. my like long list <laughs> yeah. how about your favorite yes my personal favorite fusion fic is by astolat surprise <laughs> uh, this is the fast and furious and x-men fusion called the next quarter mile it begins as a fusion and i think it would have worked very well as a pure fusion where some of the fast and furious characters discover or develop that they have mutant powers but it becomes a crossover because astolat just can't help herself she has to throw <laughs> enormously good plot at things yep and so there's some more stuff with like that the existing astolat. mutant brotherhood and things like that later on uh, but it would have worked just as well as a pure fusion and not not mm-hmm. a crossover and i really like it because it does exactly what you were saying about turning microscopes onto fandoms by mm, fusing them mm-hmm. with other ones. And it allows these semi-fantastical things that happen in the Fast and the Furious franchise <laughs> and it formalizes yeah. them by making them actual mutant powers. So there's this ridiculous oh, cool. amnesia plotline and they're like, well, they're clearly they're a telepath, so someone just wiped her memories. And the idea that they can drive, have such amazing reflexes, they can do these things that nobody else can do on the road. That becomes Brian's mutant power is that he can see a little way into the future. And so he can see the hole that will appear in the traffic and drive into it. It's just so good. Mm. <laughs> that is a awesome. Good fic. Actually, I also have a favorite Fast and Furious uh, fusion, and that is yours, yes. Freya, hey. uh, that you wrote with Captain Prince. Yes. That was so uh, and right. Like, <laughs> it, like, it's such a great fic. And... I've read it probably like four or five times now. Uh, and it's really interesting because it takes these characters from Captive Prince and puts them in a completely different moral mm. premise, mm-hmm. right? Where um, instead of being like two kings of rival nations, essentially, I'm like, yeah. make, I'm really simplifying it, but okay, <laughs> yeah. sure, let's just go with it. You have like one character who is an FBI agent, right? And the other who is kind of the leader of this slightly illegal or incredibly illegal gang yeah fairly illegal (laughs) fairly illegal gang um and just like examining how relationships change us Mm. and how someone's moral center can kind of shift and what that takes right um and i think you just did a real good job with that one freya thank you well i'm just thinking about why i why I liked that one and why I did it. You're right. I was taking the relationship dynamic of the Fast and the Furious, which is the first Fast and the Furious movie is about someone who's an FBI agent and someone who's like a criminal, you know, gang leader. Yep. Who fall for each other. Yes. And they definitely fall for each other, even if the movie does not let them make out. (laughs) No, but they really do, listeners. They really do. Like, even if it's like platonic, like partnership falling for. 
Yeah. So it was. Yeah. I have never seen a single <sighs> Fast and Furious movie, so I oh, no I love them so much. About. You should watch the first one at least. The first one yeah. is first one's okay. very enjoyable, and yeah. So I was fusing two relationships, essentially, by using mm. one yeah. setting. Well, we are running out of time, dear listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you have any uh, questions or other fusions or recommendations that you like, uh, please tell yes. us on Twitter. If you have long um, fusions, I love them. Send them to yes. me. Yes. Send all the really long ones to Macy. Macy Rude. is <laughs> thirsty for them. Rude. Macy's thirsty for a thick, thick, thick. Wow. And on that note, <laughs> goodbye. goodbye. I have to go murder a podcast wife. <laughs> Hey everybody, thanks for joining us on this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. What are some of your favorite examples of two great tastes that taste great together? Either actual flavors or fandom crossovers, take your pick. I think it's really interesting how adding a contrasting flavor, whether literal or figurative, can deepen and enrich the familiar one. Like salted caramel. You don't usually expect salt and caramel, but it's good. Well, I mean, you probably expect it these days because it's become, you know, so popular and trendy. But back in the day, you know, salted caramel was kind of a weird thing. Anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on September 25th, we'll be uploading our live show from Worldcon. It was so much fun and I can't wait for you to hear it or hear it again if you were there in person. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is the Les Mis fanfic, Three Days, or the one where Javert and Valjean take a road trip through France and raise a child by Zam Wessel. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And, by the way, not everybody could pull off that particular color combination, but you totally can.